and welcome back or welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going the on, oven man? is hot and the timer just went off. It is time to give the people what they want, something delicious today. Hmm. Oh, man, do we have something delicious. We have maybe the magic bullet workout. Oh, okay. But before we get there, just want to tell people what they're missing out on. John, we just introduced a new part of the magical scholar program in the scholar clubhouse. Do you want to tell the listeners what they're now missing out on? Yeah, this is freaking awesome. So uh, the scholar book clubs in clubs plural has just launched. So what this is, is scholar-led book clubs where we are all kind of collaborating, examining, studying, reading through the same material at the same time and going through the journey of learning together. So Steve and I have a, a book club. Obviously, it's the Science of Running book club. And right now we're going over Run With The Best um, by uh, Tony Benson and uh, Irv Ray in their chapters five, six, and seven, which is major training components to distance running, aerobic and anaerobic training components. And it's pretty simple, right? It's like, how do we all collaborate and get on the same page and get different insights into really valuable text? Because part of the scholar program is what we call the alignment project, where our scholars identify really valuable texts to coaching, training, um, working with people and runners. And now we're actually exploring them together. So we have different scholars who are leading up different ones, self-selected, like, hey, I want to look at this theme or topic. I want to look at this theme and topic. So right now in the science of running, we're looking at the basics of energy system development for runners. That's why we're starting off this text. Then we're going to co-collaborate and decide what the next text will be for the next month, so on and so forth. Like, this is your hack. This is your secret sauce to getting better is continuous learning, not a clinic, not some... Hey, I got a certification after sitting in a chair for three, four days on a weekend. It is constant nourishment to get you better all the time. I love it. If you've ever wanted to nerd out on the books that you read and said, hey, I, I don't know. I don't understand this. Or maybe like, I'd like to dive into this deeper. This is your your platform. Yeah. This is your your. And chance. don't be surprised so. if a buy my books club starts by steve where he just goes and explains his books <laughs> yeah you, you know it could happen but you know what you're gonna get you're gonna get the behind the yes. scenes of all the junk that didn't make it into the books or that i wish maybe did oh, yeah. mm. afterwards so you know we're we're all about the behind the scenes here so dice, and the other reason it. to join the scholar program is super excited we have our monthly training talks lives where it's a roundtable discussion some of the best and brightest coaches from around the world who are scholars come and get together and this month our theme is uh for the end of august is um the finding the winning balance to the cross cross-country training puzzle methods of combining hills race pace long runs speed strength training and technique work to set up harriers for race day success and our very own scholar the head coach of the Cheyenne Mountain High School Boys cross-country team that was ranked and finished number two in the nation last year. Sean O'Day is kicking off and leading it. Steve and I are just sitting back and taking notes. Like, how cool is that? You get to hear from one of the best high school coaches 
in the country about how he applies all these different ingredients to help create and develop his Harriers to the best of their ability. Yeah, I mean, that's just a wonderful learning moment for us. So how cool is it? We're in this process to up our game as coaches as well. So don't just listen to John and I. Listen to some of the best coaches in the country. Yes. Join, 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 join. Less than a dollar a day. It's an incredible value. Yes. So invest in yourself. So speaking of investing in yourself and workouts, today we've got a special topic. Flux training, the magic bullet workout? Question mark there? I, I, I don't know. So... Let's start with this. So often I think what happens is in training and workouts, we know the standard ones, right? We know the standard interval training and the, you know, the eight by K, the four by mile, the 10 by 400 and our standard interval training or even is kind of, you know, you run the repeat and then you stop, you rest, maybe you jog around a little bit, but we don't really concern too much about the rest and recovery. We're just like the emphasis is on the repeat itself, the 400, 800 mile, whatever have you. Well, flux training is a little bit different. It's when we start to take into account the how the effort, the hard effort and the recovery or off portion of it interact and often taking advantage of that off off portion to uh, change the stimulus and shift the adaptation. There's a couple different ways we can look at this. Going all the way back, you could look at natural fartlek training, right? Which historically wasn't the, you know, go run a minute, go jog, go run a minute, etc. But it was taking advantage of your environment and varying the paces based on different environmental con- constraints, right? And going from pure sprinting up a hill, maybe if you encountered it, to steady on the top of it, to jogging down the other side, to picking it up once you get to the flat ground again. There was this natural kind of variation where you used, you didn't just have this hard and fast, hard running, then recovery jogging or off time. There's also, we can look at things like surge training we can look at lactate dynamic training we can look at one of my favorites to do which is the canova inspired alternations where you go from you know running relatively hard to your recovery is still pretty freaking fast you know and all of these are ways to again shift that adaptation and i think Often, although some of these ideas have been around for a long time, like the Fartlek or uh, Bowerman's uh, famous, you know, um, 30-40 drill, right? I think in modern times, this has kind of come to fruition and we've started to put structure around around these things. So we're going to break down, you know, what these workouts look like, some examples, and then what we utilize um, them for and what they do. Yeah, and don't get twisted. Flux training is a new blanket term to kind of like 
encase and house all these types of different terminologies of the same basic training that has been around since day one, since Fartlek, right? I mean, you you named it, like the surge training, pulse training, alternations, modulations, accelerations, controlled Fartleks, roll-ons with Peter Thompson's new interval training, Russian intervals. They're all the same thing. Even, um, you know, in that run with the best book that we referenced at the beginning, they remind people that the recoveries are run, not jogged as fast as possible in what they called at that time surge training. It's all the same thing. Unfortunately, our view of interval training is more polarized, right? Where it's a really, really, really high submax or maximal effort and then total easy jog recovery. But the reality is it's less polarized. We should have this modulation or flux where we're fluctuating the effort and fluctuating the pace to create this ebb and flow because the, I, the concept is that that's how the body actually better responds to stimuli is through this fluctuation versus a really intense polarization. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's where we get at is we often learn about this kind of polarized uh, kind of model to, to workouts. And although this kind of flux training, as you outlined, has been around for a while, often it's a little harder to grasp, wrap your head around. So uh, what I'd like to do is, you know, I'm going to start off maybe how I see it and utilize it. Um, and then we'll yeah, start let's from do that. there. So <laughs> here's, here's what I think is we're shifting the emphasis to change it from the hard thing to how is the recovery manipulating the stimulus. And what I mean by there is here's how I like to think about it is that if we ink, if we take alternations, for example, and I say the recovery part is the part I want you to worry about. And I say, Hey, you know, we're going to do 800 on 800 off, for example. Well, I want that 800 off, let's say at 245. And I say 800 off is at 245. And what we're looking for on the on might be around, you know, 225 or 220 or something like that. But what I really want you to do is you're sustaining this workout is sustain the off so that it's always around, you know, 245 or whatever I decide it. And then that shifts the emphasis where, well, I can only run so fast. I can't go blast 215 because then I can't recover enough to be able to run 245. And what you've done there is psychologically shifted the emphasis. And then physiologically, let's look at what this kind of flux training often does, is it puts us in this zone where we are teaching the body how to not only just kind of tolerate, but utilize some of those fatigue byproducts such as lactate um, in a productive manner. Now let's keep it simple. Think of it like this. During the hard portion, let's stick with that example, during that 225-800, you produce a little lactate, right? Maybe for this average high school kid or pretty good high school kid that's you know um, a little slower than 5K pace. Right? So you're producing maybe like 10K effort. You're producing some lactate. Not a ton, but enough. Well, then when I take and I say, hey, this, this 800 off, what you're saying is, hey, we're not going to allow you to totally clear it. We want you to run at a steady pace that is 
again, below slower than tempo running or threshold or whatever you want to call it. So it's not pressing that lactate threshold, but it's still high-end aerobic. So it forces you, your body to kind of say, okay, we've got to figure out how to utilize this while still running at a pretty quick tempo. So you're working and you're shifting that stimulus from flooding the system and then saying, hey, get rid of it as quick as you can while we stand around so we can tolerate and whatever, to saying, how do we utilize this in, in the run? And this really kind of pays off, especially for um, for like cross-country marathons, half marathons, et cetera, where often that is the case, which is how do we utilize this, this, this lactate and other uh, products that are slowly kind of dripping into the stream? Unlike in the in like a middle distance where you're just kind of flooding the system and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. In the longer distance events, you're able to utilize that as energy and fuel if you've trained your body. And often what happens, um, we'll go into the weeds here, often what happens, especially in those longer races, is our more fast twitch orientated muscles produce more of this lactate. And then through this lactate shuttle, we can send those to our more slow twitch fibers and have them utilize them and take it up and clear it out. But they can only do that if we've trained the capacity for our, our muscle fibers to work under a high-end aerobic ability or situation and still utilize that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's difficult work in the beginning because... I think a lot of times our understanding of it is wedded to the imperfection of the jargon or terminology we use. Like you were even using it too, Steve, when we were, you were giving your example, recovery or off. There's nothing relief, recovery or off about the less pressing portion of it, right? The way I like to think about it is you have the work period or work interval, if you will, which is say if you're doing a the priest 30-30 drill or 30-40 drill on the track, right? Everyone's familiar with that. Well, the work period was at mile pace or 3K pace for pre in that 30-40 drill, right? But then the back off, it wasn't a total stop. It wasn't an off. It wasn't, a, it was more of a backing off. Then you back off to, you know, 80s or 40 seconds for 200 for pre at that time was probably, you know, what they deemed his marathon pace, right? So you're creating this, this fluctuation, this pendulum swinging back and forth, but doing exactly that, showing the body the pathway to get to the destination it wants. Because in training, that's what we're doing. We're showing the body through stimulus and workout the path towards the destination that we ultimately want. Because it's not going to magically on race day figure out how to buffer or recycle or shuttle lactate and utilize it. It needs to have that development of it. And so when you go back and you look at history and you look at the most successful distance runners and you look at the programming, nine times out of 10, there is a steady, major, consistent stimulus within the training uh, program of this type of work. And it doesn't matter who really who you are. You could be Igloy, Bowerman, Dillinger. Uh, I mean, Dillinger is just his time at Oregon when he had all those uh, amazing performances in the late 70s, early 80s. You look at his training that he um, shared, it's just littered with that stuff every day. 
and people and scholars were surprised when we talked about this in the clubhouse, because when you look at what they're doing for their easy days, right, you'd say, oh, average four to eight miles, average 520 pace. But when you actually get in the weeds and read about it, well, it was essentially fartlicks and he called them fartlicks and they would have the classic fartlek. And that's where it's just like, yeah, you, you know, on off, so to speak, as you want, which is also akin to um, uh, Klauslock's uh, easy interval method, right? But then you'd also have what he called the Lydiard fartlek, which was that steady state standard, you know, Lydiard, you know, marathon base training run. But they'd only do that, this, the Lydiard fartlek once a week. And, you know, he says, we call it the Lydiard fartlek, but there's no fartlek about it. It's just a steady state <laughs> training run, <laughs> steady pace run. So we, and then on the track, that's what they're doing a lot of work on the track is this modulation or flux. Like even Ron Warhurst's famous Michigan drill, which was originally adapted from um, the, I think, th uh, 30th Avenue drill that Lydia, uh, Dillinger had is a flux workout to some degree, right? You're running steady off the track for a mile. You get on the track, you run faster, you go back off the track. I mean, anyone who's ever tried to attempt it in any way, shape or form knows the first one to five runnings of it, tough as shit. <laughs> it makes you question why you're doing it. But once the adaptation takes place, after, you know, number four, five, six of that running of that type of session, oh my gosh, you're ready to take on the world. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I think, I, I think that's kind of what it gets at. And, you know, one of the things that I love this kind of flux alternations type work is that it often gives you a, a clue to where their aerobic abilities are. Because often, like, the athletes who haven't developed aerobically well will really struggle on this stuff, right? And often, it doesn't necessarily mean the ones who aren't are your fastest or what have you. And this is why high school kids often struggle with some of this natural or flex training or fartlek training, etc., because they're getting away with maybe a more interval dominated world where they have rest periods and they can handle it and they can bounce back. But as soon as you throw them into this kind of flex training, they really struggle with it to maintain often that kind of steady proportion. So if you can get them better at this, like it gives you that aerobic foundation that is more specific. And what do I mean by that? I think the, uh, the, East Africans and the Kenyans are brilliant at this. And often, you know, especially in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, would use these strategies um, in races where it would be the slight variation of paces within the race. So thinking, you know, in a 5K, going from a, a 32 lap to 31, then back to 32, then than 31 or for the 200s, right? Where there's this subtle, subtle shifting of training or of pacing, which often would knock, especially again in the 90s and 2000s, knock the Western athletes out because they were used to the, the steadiness, the, hey, I'm going to go, if I'm going to run 63 or 64s, we're going to go, you know, for 64s, 32, 32, 32, and just knock it out. But that subtle variation introduces some issues and some problems um, as well. In fact, I remember when I was competing in college, we'd face these guys from UTEP who were really good. And 
in, in the 5K, I remember myself and another of one of our teammates, um, we had similar PRs, but they kind of destroyed us because they do this back and forth every 200. And by the end, like our kicks were fried and they were fine because we hadn't gotten adjusted or had this cap capacity for this variation. We were very good at efficient, even pace training. So I think this is another component of that is that what this allows you to do is have another tool in your toolbox and allows you to quickly learn how to adapt and um, adapt and adjust as you go. Yeah, Bob Kennedy was famous for saying like whenever he raced the Kenyans, they just go out at like, you know, you know, breakneck speed, right? They just go out crazy hot. But the thing is, is the reason they did that, is, as you outlined, they had the coping mechanisms trained in capacity, the coping capacity to then be able to recover on the fly and get ready for the final mile versus the Western athletes. If they stuck with that hot pace early and tried to just, you know, muscle it out, would blow up because they lack the coping capacity. And that's really how to think about flux training is endows the athlete with the coping capacity to go out really fast, on the fly, buffer, kind of recover, you know, uh, if you will. But it's not really a recovery. They're just getting that clearance out and utilization of that lactate and other, you know, metabolic waste products. And then be able to surge or pulse or flux back up again in the final um, segment of the race. You know, what does it sound like? Pretty much every high school cross-country race ever. <laughs> Pretty much every NCAA cross-country race ever. It's always going to be a hot first mile. Always, always, always. You cannot escape that reality, right? And so this is an excellent training protocol to utilize uh, to... Uh, empower and build that capacity in that athlete and your uh, runners to be able to cope with that fast first segment. You buffer, recharge, regroup, so to speak, and then be able to rally for the final segment. And we we tend to think about it as a battery draining, and it's not. You you know the middle mile should be actually a battery um, a refueling, so to speak, for the final mile. But that's the thing, right? Is the the back off portion you know, what Steve called the off or recovery or the relief portion, that's the thing you want to accelerate to be as fast as possible. As we said in that quote from the Ray Irvine run, it's the run, not a jog, that's as fast as possible. And Canova is very famous for saying, I don't call it recovery when we do modulations or alternation work. I don't call it recovery because to Kenyans, recovery is nine minute mile, it's jogging, it's nothing, it's walking. So he calls these runs, these modulations or these alternations of pace, for 20 kilometers, 15 kilometers. And we're just going to go back and forth, 1K at this, 1K at that, 1K at this, 1K at that. And that's the best way to think about it. And there's a lot of very competent coaches. Sean O'Day is one uh, from Cheyenne Mountain who utilizes this really well uh, at the high school level. I utilized this at the high school level this past track season with my track athletes. You know, we had a group of eight distance runners, middle distance runners. Out of it, we had three state championships, two by one young lady in the 15 and eight, and one by young, the gentleman in the eight, who was actually my second tier 800 meter guy, because my returning state champ in the eight got an Achilles strain from basketball early in the season, so didn't compete. And we ran less than 10 to 15 miles a week, never did a long run, ever, always took Sunday off. But the staple or bread and butter of their training was this fluctuation uh, workout. 
right? That was like, we would do that all the time. And so how I incorporate it with high school kids, because it's really tough is initially, instead of having them just do, you know, like say the first week of practice was like, all right, you're going to do 200 at race pace effort for whatever pace you're at, right? Uh, 15K or 15 hundred meter pace, 3,000 pace, whatever your main event was, 800 meter pace. And then I'd have them run steady, as I called it. So back off a little bit, take your foot off the gas pill, but don't hit the brakes. And for another 50 or 100 meters, depending on their general state of condition, if they're a brand new freshman, obviously be 50 meters. But we know from interval training, right, that the stimulus happens, uh, is purported to happen to the heart in that first 10 to 20 seconds after the conclusion of the work interval. So that's why they always said, okay, you want to walk after the first 10 to 20 seconds after the work interval, because the heart is still, that's when the stimulation is happening. So to introduce that, we start with those baby chunks and then a full complete recovery, walk, jog, catch your breath, not hard, off, total, chill out. But then we'd build the bridge rather rapidly once they got the hang of it to then, yeah, 200 meters on at this 3K pace and then 100 meter, what we call like, say, um, flush, which, you know, I use that terminology to create better descriptors for these kids. But the flush was essentially like their 10K pace type effort. And they would do, you know, two to three laps of that for a set. And so it's continuous running. But again, we're just having, you know, pretty stern, you know, the common peaks of race pace, but the valleys of recovery aren't as low as is in traditional polarized interval training. It's this back off, but we're still running at a, a good clip. And, you know, what happens is the body gets really stable at being able to digest and cope with these different type of stimuli. So if they go out real fast in the first lap of a 15, they can then bounce back through coping strategies in the middle and then have something in the tank to kick. And there's other coaches who, you know, I know Bob Collins, another scholar who uh, coaches in South Carolina, who, you know, operated and used this to good effect for his uh, high school middle distance and distance runners. And he's like, I talked to him the other day and he's saying, yeah, my kids had a kick. You know, they would always make it a race the last, you know, 400 rather than hanging on. Even throughout the season, they were getting better going into the championship uh, period versus just hanging on. Like I noticed a big difference after integrating this into my training. So a lot of people are on it and it's like funny because nothing new under the sun. We just rediscovered it. And when you start looking through history, you go, oh my gosh, so many people are, have utilized this to really good effect. Why do we ever get away from this type of thinking? Well, the lab coats and the research papers said to get the VO2 max stimulus, you got to go even pace for three minutes or else. <laughs> <laughs> and we just took that at face value, right? Yeah, ex exactly. And I think part of the problem, though, is it's like it's hard to uh, study these variables, right? It is because it's easier in, in science, you want it to be controlled, right? So it's easier to be like, okay, we're going to do this workout. And I remember running into this problem actually in grad school. It's like, well, we need to do the same workout and we need to have it controlled. So it's like, you know, 10 by 400 and one minute rest in between. And that rest is nothing or whatever half because you want to hold a, a variable, you know, constant to see if you could train it. 
And that's where often this comes into it becomes very difficult because when you're manipulating that recovery portion or that steady portion or whatever you want to call it, it becomes increasingly you can't kind of hold that and control it because something else is going to shift. So it becomes harder to study. And I think the other part that I think is really important here is that in the U.S., we often equate getting faster to running faster on our our hard interval sessions where we say, okay, we're going to do four by mile at five minute pace, but next time we're going to do four by mile at 455 pace and then 450 pace. And we equate getting faster to getting better And how many coaches or athletes have said like, oh, yeah, I did my mile repeats or my 400 repeats at this pace, so I'm ready to go. Well, that doesn't work as well when we look at some of this kind of flux surge alternation training, because what often happens is you don't get faster on your hard parts. (laughs) You shouldn't. What happens is you, (laughs) you actually start recovering quicker. So that, again, maybe that off 400 goes from 80 to 78 or whatever have you, like you're able to handle the workload and um, have that that off period become a little bit quick, quicker or handle it for longer. So instead of two miles at this, you can do two and a half miles or three miles or whatever have you. Right. So there's that not that nice, neat like, oh, I'm getting better because this time, you know, I ran my times faster. And I also think it doesn't carry as much um, of that, we'll call it that social media prominence where, or that Strava effect where it doesn't look as, you know, impressive as closing four by mile and 420 does, Um, which again, makes it where often we don't do these things because it doesn't look as impressive, even though it is often um, just as difficult. Yeah, making it a race. Then again, I stole that phrase from Bob Collins. Shout out to that. Um, is really important, and that's the thing, right? We, it's just it's just a subtle shift, but an important shift in mindset of why you're doing a workout. Most people go in to say, "How fast can I go?" How f-? and you get greedy, and you're just like you get impatient. You go, "How fast do I go?" Versus how fast do I need to go? And that's the big shift, right? With the high school athletes I work with, we looked at how fast do you need to be able to run to be able to compete for a state championship, right? With those seniors or upperclassmen. So it was about two at, at their division, right? And I'm in the middle division in, uh, working with kids who are in the middle division in the or- in Oregon. So we're not the highest division. Um, it was only two minutes for the men's 800 right? That would put you in the ballpark to say, Hey, I could compete to win a state title for the women's 1500 is only five flat. It was only 11 flat for the three K right. Five minute or five twenty pace, six minute pace. So what did the flux alternation or, or flux lactic dynamic, whatever you want to call it training look like? Well, for my top high school girl, it was just a lot of work at 40 seconds per 400 or I mean 200, excuse me. And it was also a lot of work at 45 seconds per 200, right? Six minute pace, 520 pace. And the goal was to create extension, as Canova calls it, building a bridge so that they could either, one, go for longer. So instead of 200 meters, 400 meters, 600 meters um, at that target pace, 
of how fast they needed to be. And or the goal was to quicken the, you know, uh, back off portion by either making it really short time periods, so like 100 meters or 20 seconds of total recovery and then back into it. Um, or, um, you know, again, making it just globally faster as well, right? So that's the thing is like you have to think it's about extension and it's um, it's tough because it's it's what it is. It's reverse linear periodization. So you're starting off in the beginning of the year with higher intensity and lower volume of those stimulating work that you're focused on. Right. So they would be doing not a lot of work globally in terms of volume and duration at their goal race pace because they just weren't fit and strong enough. So the volume of the work is low, but because they're not fit and strong enough, yes, it's also perceived and interpreted by the body as high intensity. Remember, high intensity is not maximum intensity. It's just a lot of people get this confused. There's maximum intensity, submaximal, high, intermediate, medium, and then low. And so a lot of times distance runners, we live in that high, intermediate, medium world, which is defined as, you know, from an energy system standpoint, aerobic or anaerobic glycolytic power, so to speak, or capacity. Um, and so what we're trying to do is shift the body from perceiving that target race pace as an anaerobic glycolytic power um, capacity exercise to more of what Canova calls aerobic power endurance. And that's why we call, we, we ask, is this the magic bullet? Because aerobic power running, that's the sweet spot. That's where all the, you know, um, training should be geared towards is getting it so you can run as fast as possible in that aerobic condition without triggering that unnecessary uh, anaerobic glycolytic glycolysis that creates excessive amounts of acidosis. That's what's really hard about this. But you got to stay disciplined. And so she would just do, you know, going back to my high school gal, a lot of work at 45 and 40 for 200. She knew that thing inside and out, man, inside and out. And it didn't matter wind, rain, sun, hail at our state meet, <laughs> she was running it. And, but because she was able to, you know, have that capacity and 60 days of just focused training, a lot of it towards that very stable in her performance. She was always kind of running around. She started out the season off at like 515, but then like for the last month of the season, it was every 1500 was like 455 to like 502 and she was always winning except for like the big invite where it's like all those kids who came together in the northwest but I, she didn't lose a, a only with that 115 at that big invite but throughout the year she ran however many 1500s and never lost a single one and that's what we want is we want a stable performance stable performance capacity and ability versus just this greedy performance. How, how fast can I go? How fast can I go? And it creates this like nothing's ever good enough mentality. And that's why I love this type of training if you approach it with the right um, intent. Yeah, no, I love that story. It, it really kind of gets at the point, which is <laughs> this is taking it out of maybe that egocentric, how fast can I go and saying what is best for developing you um, as a person. And you know, the, you know, maybe getting to into a little bit. Okay. I hear all you, you listeners are like, I hear you, John and Steve, how do we, you know, utilize this? And you gave an example there, but what I like to think of as, you know, 
in the traditional sense, we see the threshold training or tempo training or critical velocity training, whatever you want to call it, as the route or path to aerobic development and that high-end aerobic development. But that's essentially only one, one model, which is we're going to like push our threshold or aerobic abilities up, right? We're going to ride that line just below it and then just kind of hope that we like push it up, 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 up a little bit. And what we're, what lactate dynamic alternations, modulations allow you to do is essentially push and pull, right? Because we go a little slower, we go a little faster, and you're just kind of giving both stimuli to get that, that aerobic ability to go up a notch. And I think that's where it's really important and can come into play. So often the way I like to think of this is, in, the, in my progression of training is once a high school or college kid has adapted to kind of the traditional or gotten a little used to the traditional, hey, we're going to do some, you know, st- steady intervals or like a lactate threshold, a four mile tempo run or eight mile marathon pace run or what have you. <laughs> Often, <laughs> excuse me, my idea is. Well, the next step in that progression is to introduce in or really emphasize some of this flux training because it's the next stimuli to get better. So we might go from, you know, early in the season or maybe from, uh, from, you know, the summer training where they've done a couple tempo slash threshold runs to starting to introduce some of this alternations and longer alternations where we go maybe a K you know, K at a little bit faster and a K at a little bit slower. And I think that's a great way from this tempo world. And then if we look at from the shorter world, I like what you did. What I used to do with high school kids is we would do 200s on and off, essentially. And we would begin by doing them literally on and off by doing 200s where it's like, you know, for a high school kid, maybe running three, you know, two mile pace. You know, they're trying to run uh, near nine minutes. We'd say, go run these 234, 33. And their their off would be 200 slow jog. So they'd go nine, 10 minute pace for that slow jog. Well, then over time, you start saying, okay, great. You got this part down. You got the pacing down. Now we're going to switch this. Instead of an off slow jog, now we're going to do a 100 meter float as you kind of said, right? Where you've taken the recovery down, but you've also said, you know what? Now I'm going to put this as on an emphasis of, I want you to keep this 100 meters in, let's say, you know, 20 seconds or something like that, whatever it is. And then we would split things into sets. So instead of being 20 by 200 on off, maybe it would be uh, two sets of eight by 200 with a 100 meter float with standing recovery in between. And then you progress from there and you get often get back to, okay, now we're going to get back to 16 by 200 on with 200 off at that, that 40 seconds or whatever it has it that is, is still steady there. And you've shifted the emphasis where the, the hard part has quote unquote stayed relatively the same, but you're extending their ability by making that steady part, um, you know, longer, prolonged, less 
you know, going from sets to straight through, extending it from 100 meters to 200 meters, whatever it has you, where you're shifting that emphasis. And what I found over time is that really helps, especially from a, the high school, like 3200 or whatever 3K it is, is that really kind of cements some of these aerobic developments and takes it from the kind of traditional, hey, we're going to do a half marathon paced threshold to, hey, this is aerobic development for this specific event. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really you're kind of like shifting from a macro point of view about how to create training uh, workouts and doses to more of like this pulsating micro or fluctuating micro point of view. And you said too, Steve, like people call it float. It's so hard. It's something we all know about. But yet everyone talks about differently. Like Rob Connor at UP calls them chopped and screwed workouts, right? And so the concept is having a clear understanding between you and the athletes you're working with about what is required when. And, you know, moderate is another example that people use. They use, okay, the hard portion, the hard interval is going to be this. And then you can go into a moderate interval and back and forth like that. I use that terminology of igloo style, like fast, fresh, flush, fluffy, just to keep it really simple for like high school kids. And once they got, in understanding about what was asked of them when that's when they really started to take off. So rather than say like do uh, for like a 5k runner is an example, rather than do five by a mile at 5k pace or 3k pace or whatever with three minutes rest and recovery, what you can do is you can fluctuate every 200 the demand. So you can run say 200 meters at 3k pace or mile pace effort, and then back off to a more moderate pace effort of 10k right? And if you go mile, 10K, mile, 10K, what also happens too, from a neurological side, not just the physiological side, we spent a lot of time talking about the physiology of this, but by subjecting people to faster paces and relatively less faster paces, what happens is we know there's no such thing as speed. It's only strength. So remember, strength is speed. And what we call weak is actually lack of coordination because strength is coupled to coordination. So if you don't have the coordination to move your body, put your limbs in a certain position at a certain velocity or frequency at the right time, you're going to be quote unquote discoordinated, what we call weak. So that's the, the big leap that we have to understand is what we're trying to do is increase coordination, which then increases strength, which then increases speed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the it's a very detailed but thorough way of thinking about it ac more accurately what we're doing in training and by offering faster portions that might be a little bit above you know one or two clicks above target race pace or race effort but then backing off to one or two clicks below it we then endow the athlete with this spectrum because also too the nice thing is Every time you accelerate and decelerate, even if it's really that shallow of a difference from mile pace to 10K pace, you also get a lot of the different concentric and eccentric type components working together that you normally wouldn't get if you just said, I'm going to run, you know, five by a mile at 445 pace the whole time through at like, you know, just, you know, mono pace it, just click, 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 and then take this three minute recovery. We know that that blocked type of work is not as valuable as variability type of work. And that's a key thing in motor learning and also training is variable learning, variability has a lot of import. We've seen this in studies where it's like athletes who play basketball or shoot um, baskets will practice variables 
where they'll shoot, okay, five baskets here, five baskets there, all throughout the um, the court. And then they'll like leave them and have no practice for a week versus the athletes who just practice for 15 minutes, one shot here, and then 15 minutes, one shot here, and then 15 minutes, one shot here, more of that blocked style, uh, true block style. And then when they come back after uh, a week of no practice, the person, the athletes who had that more variable or variable, what I call variable block training, more micro doses, had a lot better accuracy from different places at, you know, throughout the court, picked it up a lot faster, more shots went in, it was more fluid, everything was just through the roof. Although it's easier for us cognitively to process things in big chunks and steady chunks, we love stability and we love predictability and we love big. <laughs> this is the harder mental um, leap to take, but it's by far more the more fruitful, without a doubt. Yeah, no, I I think this is why I, you know, we titled this the magic bullet workout is it's not only from a physiological standpoint, but it's often what happens is it, we often get stuck on our workouts where we repeat the same style of workout, right? Over time. And often this is one of those styles of workouts that isn't included in always in training. So for many people, it's this new variation that allows us to have, you know, a new and different stimulus that can, again, solidify some of these gains. And I often like to think of it as translate it from something that is more general aerobic ability to specific aerobic ability for an event. <laughs> and the, the other part of it that I think is um, really important is it gives you a different style of feedback when you're coaching. So generally when you're coaching, you're watching runners and you're saying, oh, did he run faster or slower during this workout or repeat? Did they break down or not? Um, but these alternation surges, flex training allows you to evaluate how, you know, um, on multiple levels, how they are handling it biomechanically, how they are handling it physiologically from a aerobic recovery standpoint, and then how that shifts over time. And what I mean by this is simple, is you watch a kid do these, and if they initially slow down, maybe during that first 20 meters and slow down real hard, it tells you that, you know, going back to what John said initially, is that like they don't have the capacity to recover off of a moderate pace because the hard prices aren't that hard. They're like 5K, 10K effort, depending on what you're utilizing it for. But it's not a near max or even a near, you know, mile pace type deal most of the time for the longer ones, at least. So you're seeing that like, oh, even this kind of moderate kind of, you know, 800 at 10K pace puts them in a hole where they have to back off for that initial 20, 30, 40 meters before getting into the steady. That gives you an idea. It's like, oh, this is a weak point aerobically that shouldn't occur at a kind of moderate pace. So we have to develop that over time, often through this kind of alternation work. The other thing it tells you too is, can they? what pace can they recover at, right? So 
over time, if that recovery becomes harder and slower and they go from, you know, here I'm using the recovery for that steady pace, but if that 800 steady goes from 240 to 245 to 250, or they come really hard struggling with it, it tells you that they don't possess the ability, even in an aerobic state, because that 245 is aerobic, right? It's often kind of marathon pace, whatever, which we know is like you're fully aerobic. Even in that aerobic state, they can't process and handle and deal with the just mild or moderate fatigue that's built up during that that harder portion. Well, that tells you that maybe aerobically, if we were just going to send them off for a marathon pace or half marathon pace workout, they'd be okay. But they don't have the, the ability yet to be able to have a little bit more fatigue and then process that aerobically at an entire aerobic pace. And that gives you again an idea on, well, this is a weak point. And for marathoners specifically, it tells me they are not going to be able to handle a surge. Like sometimes you see with, you know, East Africans will drop a for the men like a 425 mile in the middle of it and then back off and run 450 again. But if you can't handle that 425 and back off, then you're in trouble. You're not going to be able to compete in that race. And it's often the same in other distance events where, let's say, a 5K on the track is the fatigue gradually builds and builds and builds. So you might be able to handle it, right? But it's going to get to some point where that gradually builds and builds and builds, where you're going to have to suck into that anaerobic reserve you have to be able to stay on that pace, which means when push comes to shove and it's time to kick, you've already used your anaerobic reserve, right? And what these alternation flex training often do does is it allows us to two things. It allows us to go longer without dipping into that anaerobic reserve and handling some of the And two, it allows us to handle some of the minor fluctuations where we might tap into it a little bit, but we're able to back off and recover enough so that we're not saying, hey, we utilize this. It's never coming back, essentially. And we're we're screwed for the kick. So that's where I think this, this kind of alternation work has even more bang for our buck is it gives us these school, these tool kits and tool sets that, again, you often see naturally from uh, you know, East African fartlek training that the Western athletes don't. Yeah, have. it it really works. Like it really, really works. Uh, you know, a good story is like say when I was working with Daniel Herrera, right? One of our go-to longer flux workouts would be a three k, like two or three by a three k on the track, with four hundred meters at his three k effort, and then a hundred meter, you know. Instead of calling it recovery, I think at that time I called it fake recovery, false recovery, pseudo recovery. Peter Thompson, um, with his Lactodynamics training website, if you really want to dive deep into it, he was a mentor who first really exposed me to this. Um, and he frames it very clearly. He calls them roll-ons. But that 100-meter roll-on or fake recovery portion would then be um, at his, what was at his 10K pace, right? So we'd or no slower than a certain pace. So I'd say no slower than 25. So he's running, you know, 66 to 64, and then no slower than 25 for, um, 
you know, the 100. And, you know, you essentially, if you think about at 3K, well, those are 500 meter chunks with a 400 meter at pace, 100 meter um, float, if you will, roll on, uh, moderate, what have you, then that's, you know, six by 500. Like, but it's all together, string together as one continuous run. And then we take a break. And then we take the real, real recovery, like, you know, honest, well, as, as, you know, honest recovery. Cause I think at that time I was calling it false recovery and honest recovery. <laughs> Cause that's the thing, like everyone's terminology for what recovery is can change. And so it's so tough to, you know, as we, as I've said before, uh, discern what's going on. But Frank Shorter used this. He's, he said in his book, you know, uh, you know, road to gold or, you know, whatever is he always knew he's in really good marathon shape when he could do 12 times 400 at 62 to 61 with 50 meter float. <laughs> I was in good marathon shape when I could do that workout. And he would progress towards and how you try to do it is first he'd quicken the 400 to where it needed to be and didn't worry about the recovery. And then once he stabilized the 400s to where they needed to be, he would then shorten the float and the float or that, that rest period relief period would go down from 200 meters to 150 to what have you. But this was super common practice, super common practice back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, super common. And then we lost sight of it because VO2 max became the thing that the lab coats were saying, we got to do it at this pace, at this frequency, at this steady state, and then take a recovery because then the heart Whoa. And it's like not totally out wrong, but just like everything that came out in the 80s, we overemphasized the import of it at the cost of other things that were really um, doing us of service. It, exactly. I think that's the key there is it's not that that stimulus is wrong. It's that it's only one stimulus that in the body is complex and we need all these other things. And I think that's where every training, if you look throughout history, we go through this ebb and flow where we overemphasize something and then come back to reality. <laughs> yeah. And I think what we're, we're, we're kind of hoping in this podcast is that this, whatever you want to call it, this flux training is kind of a, hey, we forgot about this stuff. And you know who else did this very well was like uh, Sarity yes, and those Igloy, guys. Igloy's trained just that. Igloy, I mean, it really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's it's they figured out like hey we need to vary the the crap out of this and have different whatevers and often it was kind of natural and this is you know going all the way back this was like pavo nermi's training for a while too the flying fins because they use that natural fart leg yeah. where it's like you know how that's where it kind of came and then the swedish runners took it over all that stuff and we kind of threw that by the wayside because we like things um, big and simple. We like big and simple. Big we and love simple. big and yep. simple. That was like Lydiard's, you know, in my mind is his marketing genius. Big number, simple. Hundred miles a week at this pace. <laughs> yes, it, it, exactly. No, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what happened is we simplified too much, and we lost that kind of nuance. And we're trying to bring back that nuance of hey, especially if you haven't done these workouts, introduce them. And keep it simple. And maybe this is the takeaway. It's like, keep it simple. You could start with, as John and I have said, like 200 meter repeats, or you can do a really natural fartlet. Yeah. I mean, even the heart of yeah. it, right? With the, introducing to the high school kids. So Igloy had this protocol 
that Bob Shule talks about, and it was adamant in all of Bob Shule's um, publications and interviews. It's called it's called Fresh Runs. Essentially, it's Fresh Runs, and what it is, it's a hundred meters, you know, at this kind of moderate, uh, harder effort. So like five k, three k type effort, and then it's a deceleration and an immediate turnaround walk back to the starting line and do it again. So it's about 20 seconds on and 20 seconds decelerate, turn around and restart it, quote unquote recovery. And it truly is a recovery. You just gradually decel out, stop, walk three or four or five steps and you just go back and forth on a grass field. Cause that's where Igloo loved to train was a grass field, which by the way, side tangent here, one reason why the Jamaicans so good one reason why igloos are so good is they train on a grass field. And we know when you train on a softer type, less compliant surface, it then forces the body to manufacture and create more stiffness or tension uh, in its system that gives you a higher energy return. So then when you translate your um, to uh, competitiveness to a f- hard, flat, very, um, uh, le- very compl- uh, less compliant surface, then all of a sudden you get this big, boom, energy boost and thrust that you didn't have on that more compliant yielding surface like a grass. Back on course here. Okay, so, and that was how he started every single workout was 10 times fresh runs. So 10 times 100 meters at this kind of 3K type pace, 200 or 20 second turnaround, go back and forth. They use that as their screen to figure out how the athlete was feeling for that day. So I read this and I go, this is brilliant. This is amazing. This is awesome. So I just, that is the bread and butter backbone of my training program with the high school uh, track athletes I work with. Every day, the first thing that we would do after the general warm up, right? And our general pre run warm up would be the dynamic warm ups with the team after that, you know, customary lap jog around the track and then some wicket runs. And then it'd be fresh runs. Because the fresh run was the stimulus that would uh, indicate how they're feeling. And this was also protocol for non-workout days, non-days where we're going to do things on the track, even protocol for the pre, uh, pre-meet drill. So they were literally doing these fresh runs in pockets of, you know, from anywhere we start off with two in a set to maximum eight in a set, right? So 200 meters to 800 meters total worth of cumulative work at this 3K effort on a grass infield 100 meters and that was daily pretty much near daily there was unless we took a total day off every practice would include that type of work to start and sometimes also to finish the day so we're getting that you know strength stimulus in that way and then what that can do is and they can build this bridge because we know that 20 seconds that razor thin recovery is nothing (laughs) is absolutely nothing. And the cornerstone workout that I had for the kids to kind of measure progress was um, uh, repeat 400 meters on the track with 20 seconds or razor thin recovery, right? And the goal would always be, you you know, you're not going to run the 400 meters slower than X. So you can run away. I don't care what you can run. Whatever pace you want. But like, we're going to do two sets of four times 400 with 20 seconds razor thin recovery. And we call it the 400 meter drill and you're not going to run any slower than X. And that was usually their, either their 3k pace for most athletes. Um, And sure enough, like as we went through the season, that became our, you know, sets became four by four, five by four, 
six by four. I mean, that was the max we topped out at was three sets of six by 400 meters at, with 20 seconds recovery at your 3K pace. What I found for the high school athlete or a younger athlete or a less developed athlete is that 20 seconds of just basically just going, catch your breath, recalibrate, digest, turn around, get going, doesn't create any kind of adverse effects in the physiology of what you're doing, but it does give you that little mental relief so you can stay focused enough to get through uh, the next rep as things get harder. But again, we're building a bridge to that because every day, fresh runs. Mm, I love that. And I, you know, maybe this is a good place to kind of uh, summarize is that I love the idea of bridging a bill, uh, uh, building a bridge. And maybe that's like, that's how if we look at all training is what happens is, you know, often we get stuck, we're building, we're building, we're building, and that's in the traditional manner. And then we don't build that bridge to anything else. Right. And we have these separate components. We have our interval training. We have our tempo, our threshold training. And there's no kind of bridge to connect those ideas and concepts. And I think this is where flux training, um, alternation surges, fart legs, lactate dynamics, all those good words we, we could call really kind of comes into play is that it can serve as this vital bridge and this new stimulus that allows you to connect different uh, types and styles of traditional workouts um, that we do. Yeah, I'm going to just read you the summary that Run With The Best book with Benson and Ray um, give for aerobic power running because it just it it's succinct and it just nails it. Here it is. So aerobic power running. Aerobic power workouts normally last 15 to 35 minutes and may be best described as surge intervals. Steady state runs and 5K or 8K races at this intensity are also very valuable. However, because the pace or heart rate is above threshold, but marginally below max VO2, the majority of aerobic power workouts will be done as surge intervals. This consists of 20 to 35 minute efforts broken into 30 second to 40 or 30 second to four minute or 200 meters to 1200 meter surges at goal race pace or 85 to 92% of maximum heart rate and followed immediately by 30 seconds to two minutes or 200 meters to 600 meters uh, recoveries that are runs, not jogged at the fastest pace possible. For example, an athlete targeting 14 minutes for 5K could cruise eight times 400 meters at goal pace 70 with a 200 meter float. Initially, the athlete will take up to 90 seconds jog for the 200 meter recovery. With a recovery taking that long, the workout would still be considered a traditional interval one. The athlete's aim, however, would be to reduce this sustainability until the jogs are reduced to somewhere around 45 seconds for 200 meters. It could be said that the change from a traditional interval workout to a surge workout occurs once the athlete appears to be running as briskly as possible through the recovery rather than still jogging or running with a sense or running without a sense of urgency. Love I mean, it. That's pretty, a, pretty that's succinct. A, <laughs> pretty succinct. Great summary. And I love that it was written, you know, gosh, I don't know, 25 yeah. years ago, yeah. something like that. So, you know what? If you want to learn more and go deeper on that book, you know where you can. The scholar program, baby. Sign up. Why are you waiting? <laughs> That's right. Join the book club. We can go deep and unpack 
that book and others in our new book club. So join on in. We hope again that you this this podcast maybe gave you some interesting insight and some things to to try. If you haven't yet, if you're stuck on traditional intervals, try introducing some of this flux training gradually and see what happens. And I think you'll be surprised and happy with the results. Yeah, I'll so, give Steve or I a shout out. You know, whether you're a scholar or just on Twitter, if you got questions about it, because it's the fun part about the middle path that we preach, the nuanced path that we preach is subtle changes make big differences. And sometimes it's easy to get confused or easy to um, ignore how what subtlety actually looks like. Because, again, like we've said so many times in this podcast, the language used is so variable and opaque that we don't have clear definitions or a clear taxonomy about it. But as long as you have a good grasp and the athlete has a good grasp about what's expected when, then you're going to be successful. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, until next time, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Share it with a friend and good coaching, everybody.